Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, come on in and find a seat wherever you are. And uh, I want to begin this morning with a question. As you're looking forward to the new year and probably to getting out of this year and all its craziness, how does the idea of being abundantly blessed by God in this new year sound to you? Do you want to be blessed by God in 2021? Do you want to experience all the good things God has for you? Do you want to have more and more of those moments in life where you stop and think to yourself, wow, I am so blessed. I am so blessed. If your answer is yes, 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 and amen, then this sermon series over the next three weeks is for you because it's going to be all about the blessed or blessed life. The blessed life. The life that is drenched in divine blessedness and how you can have it and how God wants for you to have it because he loves you deeply and endlessly, Christian. And the way we're going to be talking about the blessed life over the next three weeks is through one of my favorite psalms, Psalm chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there now, Psalm chapter 1. And uh, we'll start this morning by just reading this psalm, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll start digging into the first stanza a little deeper, okay? And Rob, you could probably take some of the gain out of this mic. All right, let me read this psalm. Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lord God, help us this morning to behold wondrous things from your holy, inspired, inerrant word. O Lord, make your word sweet to us this morning as it is said to be a delight to the blessed man. And Lord, show us our ultimate hope this morning. Show us our Savior. Show us Jesus in a fresh way this morning, we pray. Amen. So something we should know about the book of Psalms is that every psalm is a song that was sung in worship in ancient Israel. So the book of Psalms is essentially a hymnal. And in this first psalm, this first song, we see the psalmist giving answers to many of life's big questions, such as where blessedness is to be found in this life. 
and which road we should walk in this life and how we can thrive and grow and be fruitful in this life and what our destiny is at the end of this life. And all this is communicated through three stanzas, three sections, which I've titled stanza number one, the way of blessedness, verses one and two. Stanza number two, the essence of blessedness, verses three and four. And stanza number three, the hope of blessedness, verses five and six. So over the next three weeks, again, we'll be looking at the way of blessedness, where it goes, the essence of blessedness, what it is exactly, and the hope of blessedness, what it destines us for, okay? So this morning we'll be looking at the first stanza, the way of blessedness, verses one and two, and let me read it just one more time, okay? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, this is all pretty interesting because we don't always think of blessedness quite in these terms, right? Because we usually think of blessedness more in terms of what we have, like having a home to live in, or having a family to live with, or having good friends, or having a good job, or having a body that is strong and healthy, or having a bank account that isn't empty, We usually feel blessed when we have good things, right? And we're not necessarily wrong to think about blessedness in these terms because all that we have that is good and perfect is a blessed gift from God's hand, James 1.17. But here, instead of saying something like, blessed is the man who has a home and who has a good job and who has good friends, instead of saying something like that, the psalmist shows us a different kind of blessedness. He shows us a kind of blessedness that has fundamentally changed who we are. A kind of blessedness that has fundamentally changed who we are. Now let's hold that thought right over here and we're gonna get back to it in a minute, but look with me again at the description of the blessed man. The blessed man walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. These are three verbs, walk, stand, sit, which go from bad to worse. And here's why. Here's the picture the psalmist is painting. Some people in life are walking down a proverbial path of wickedness, where their ears are continually being assaulted by wicked counsel. And they never turn back. They never turn back or ever get off that path. They just keep walking further and further and further down that road. And often, they stop and they stand there to listen to that wicked counsel. And when they like what they hear, they actually sit down and essentially plant themselves there in that place. They become sinfully settled there in that place. And the psalmist calls that place the seat of scoffers or mockers, some translations say. The seat of scoffers. 
It's a place of arrogance and pride where the person sitting upon that seat will not be told what to do and will not budge an inch as he looks down on passers-by who are not sitting where he is. And I don't know about you, but there have been many, many times in my life when, when I followed this exact same progressive walk, stand, sit pattern into settled sin. Many times in my life I found myself on a path where I've been exposed to sin, and then instead of running the other way and getting out of there, like, like Joseph, who literally ran from Potiphar's wife, remember that? Instead of doing that, I have begun to flirt with that sin, and then have eventually been captured and consumed by that sin, and all the while denying and making excuses for how wicked it truly is. I've been there many times. And do you know where else in scripture we find this exact same walk, stand, sit pattern? We see it right at the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter three, we read about how the serpent came to Eve and got her attention with his wicked counsel. She was exposed to sin. And then instead of rebuking him immediately for blatantly contradicting God, she stopped to listen and to consider what he had to say. She began to flirt with sin. And then eventually she and Adam followed the serpent's advice and fell into sin. And that sin, which they gave an inch, took 10,000 miles. That sin, which they gave an inch, took 10,000 miles. And now all humanity as sons and daughters of Adam. All humanity has been born under the curse of sin, which by nature plants us all 10,000 miles down the road of wickedness, away from God, in the seat of scoffers. I don't know if you knew this, but we're all born in this seat. The seat of scoffers is our first crib, which eventually grows and grows with us into an imaginary throne where we sit and we think that we rule over our lives as kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. I mean, do you remember being a kid? Do you remember how arrogant and prideful you were, thinking you knew everything about everything, thinking you had it all figured out, thinking you knew what was best for you? I remember when my younger brother Tristan was just a little kid and uh, one day he unveiled to our parents his 10-year plan which involved him moving out and buying his own house and uh, never getting married or anything like that but just spending the rest of his life sitting around the house watching TV and eating Cheetos because that was what was best for him according to him. And then my parents asked, okay, well, where are you going to get all the money to buy your own house and all those Cheetos? You've got to have a job. And Tristan responded, I'll join the army. Because, because that was the tough guy response to someone trying to poke holes in his plan. We have all sat in the seat of scoffers. We were all born there. And if we never get our butts off that seat, that seat will just continue to grow and grow and change with us from infancy into childhood, into adolescence, into adulthood, 
and unto death. And here's a big problem. The seat of scoffers is not a place that we, by nature, ever want to leave. Just look at what a few of the other Psalms have to say about this. Psalm 14, verses two and three says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And here's what he sees. They have all turned aside. They have all gone the wrong way. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good in and of himself, not even one. Not even one by nature. Psalm 58, verses three and four says, the wicked, and that's all of us by nature, the wicked are estranged from the womb and go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear. You hear that? We're born spitting out the same toxic venom as a serpent himself and closing our ears to godly counsel. And Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter two, saying that we are by nature children of wrath. By nature, the children of man are children of wrath. And many other scriptures tell the same woeful tale of sinful humanity born under the curse and estranged from God, occupying a sinful seat that we love and are unwilling to part with by nature. But the blessed man is one who's abandoned the seat of scoffers and has gotten out of the way of sinners and off the wicked path and will not go back there. And verse two tells us why, saying that his delight is now in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And this word law, by the way, is most likely referring to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which the Israelites called the law, okay? So we might just say that the blessed man delights in the word of God, okay? But, but think with me about this word delight. What does it mean to delight in something? Well, in the Hebrew, this is pretty interesting, the word delight is not a verb. It's not a word describing something about what the blessed man does, but it's a noun. It's a word describing something about who the blessed man is. Let me explain by way of example. My wife, Natalie, loves candy in a way that I don't. And there are certain candy flavors that she delights in, which if they were in my mouth would probably make me puke. And one of those awful flavors is mint. I cannot overstate my hatred of mint. It's terrible. Makes me gag just thinking about it. I know you guys are probably wondering, does he brush his teeth? world may never know. No. But think about this. 
Natalie's delight in mint and my disgust of mint isn't a choice for either of us. It's totally out of our control. Her delight and my disgust are passive experiences that just happen within us. And those experiences are so different for each of us because we're just two very different people with very different tastes. And in the same way, the blessed man has spiritual taste buds that are different than others. And that's because they've been changed by God. They've been changed by God. You see, the blessed man used to delight in wickedness. He used to have a taste for wickedness and the words and counsel of the wicked as we all once did by nature. But his spiritual taste buds have been supernaturally altered so that now he craves something that he never had an appetite for before. The word of God. And now God's word is like honey to his lips and healing to his bones and he can't get enough of it. And he's constantly pondering it day and night. He he can't stop thinking about it. It's just such a delight to him. And he knows that it's the food by which he shall live and be filled and be satisfied and not bread alone. Here's the point I'm trying to make, which connects us back to that thing I told us to hold over here for a minute. This psalm is not telling us how to be blessed. It's not saying, if you want to have blessings in your life, here's the formula. Delight in God's word, plus hopping off the seat of scoffers, plus running out of the way of sinners, plus ceasing to listen to wicked counsel, equals blessing. That's not what this psalm is saying. And we know it's not what it's saying because, number one, delight in God's word is not something that we can just magically conjure up within ourselves. It's not a verb. It's not something we do. It's a noun. It's something that describes something unique about us. And number two, by nature, we don't ever want to dethrone ourselves from the seat of scoffers. That's why it's called the seat of scoffers and not the seat of unsettled uncertainty or something like that. The psalmist is not telling us how to be blessed. Rather, he's telling us that it's God's blessing which results in delight in his word and hopping off the seat of scoffers and running out of the way of sinners and closing our ears to wicked counsel. It's God's gracious blessing that fundamentally changes who we are spiritually, not the other way around, where we change ourselves and our behaviors and we clean up our lives a bit in order to then receive God's blessing. That's not how it works. In fact, you may have heard this phrase spoken in some churches before. Praises go up, blessings come down. Have you ever heard that? Praises go up, blessings come down. The idea being that if we praise him, he will bless us. If we do this for him, he'll do that for us. But the psalmist would say just the opposite. He'd say, 
there would never be any praises rising from us to God had his blessing not first come down to us. And isn't this precisely what we celebrated this Christmas? The incarnation of the Son of God. The Son of God who came down and lived a perfect, sinless life. The kind of life that our first parents failed to live, which unleashed the curse of sin upon the world. Jesus came down and lived a perfect, sinless life as a second Adam, as the head of a new humanity. And then he went to the cross where he bore the curse in his body. He bore that vile thing which kept us enslaved to the seat of scoffers and which was dragging us down with it along the path of wickedness unto death. Jesus bore it in his body upon the tree and he died in our place and then rose again to take it away from all who would repent of their sin and trust in him for life and salvation. Here's what I'm saying. This great blessing, along with all the subsequent blessings that have flowed from the cross, like the Holy Spirit and sanctification and being near to God and hearing from God through his word, these blessings are the things God uses to spark and fan the flame of praise within us. Isn't that amazing? Sure, the praises come from our lips, but it's the Lord. The Lord who said, let light shine out of darkness and who has shown in our hearts. It's the Lord who creates praise within us. One commentator says this, we often get the idea that if we live properly and act properly, God will bless us but a proper reading of this psalm shows us that when we receive the blessing of God, we will live fruitful lives in righteousness. It's God's blessing that changes us. It's God's blessing that picks us up off the seat of scoffers and out of the way of sinners and sets us on a different path. God's blessing that makes us want to follow him and to praise him. It's God's blessing that makes his word sweet and delightful to us. It's God's blessing that creates the blessed man. And it's all because of the capital B, capital M, blessed man who came down to us and was made a curse for us. Jesus Christ. So, how do we respond to this? What do we go and do with this this morning? Well, here are two applications that I think this passage is moving us toward. Number one, see blessedness where the curse is being reversed. See blessedness where the curse is being reversed. See blessedness there. Question, when you were a kid, what was the best thing about Christmas? Be honest. 
It was probably the presents, right? Right? At least for me, the presents were the things that I was looking forward to months before Christmas. And the presents were the things that kept me from falling asleep on Christmas Eve. And the presents were sure the things that got my butt jumping out of bed and running downstairs in the morning on Christmas. Right? For a long time, the presents were the best thing about Christmas for me. But there was a point in my life when all the wonder and excitement of the presents became overshadowed by the wonder and excitement of what the presents represent, which is the greatest gift of all, Jesus himself, having Jesus himself. And in the same way, it's childish. It's childish to be so enamored with physical blessings and and to think of God as a kind of divine Santa Claus who always comes bearing gifts and things for the good girls and boys and to fail to ever even think about God's greater spiritual blessings, which all of those physical blessings are pointers to. Kind of like how all of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament, they were all pointers to greater spiritual realities. Like, like the raising of Lazarus from the dead, who didn't then go on to live forever, but eventually died again, so what was the point of that? Well, the point of it was to show that Jesus can take a dead thing and command life into it, which is precisely what happens when we're saved. We go from spiritually dead people to spiritually alive people. That miracle serves as a metaphor to help us understand what salvation is really like. That miracle points us beyond itself to a greater spiritual reality and a greater resurrection that Jesus came to accomplish. And it's the same case with the physical blessings that God puts in our hand. They are all pointers to greater blessings greater realities, greater gifts. And you know, if you do a word search of the word blessed in the Psalms, you'll find the psalmists constantly referring to these greater spiritual blessings. Like in Psalm 32 verse one, which says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Or Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Or Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or Psalm 84, 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Or Psalm 94, 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord and whom you teach out of your law. And what did Jesus have to say about this? Well, let's read the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. And he, Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, his disciples, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Not cursed are those who mourn, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then these last two. (laughs) Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Wow. Kind of turns the world's conception of blessedness upside down. Huh? And hear me right, I'm not saying that physical blessings don't matter. Of course they matter. And God is so generous to lavish upon us many, many good physical blessings. We praise him for it. I'm just saying that we should strive to have a more biblical understanding of blessedness so that we don't overemphasize the lesser blessings and forget how amazing it is that Jesus is reversing the effects of the curse within us. That's incredible. That's real blessedness. That should, more than anything, move us to sing his praises. Amen? These things drive me nuts. I'm gonna have to do something about this next week. Second application. If you've been blessed to have been rescued from the wicked path and set on the blessed path, continue in the way of blessedness. If you've been blessed to have been rescued from the wicked path and set on the blessed path, continue in the way of blessedness. This one's simple. If you're on the blessed path, what are you gonna find there? What are you gonna find there? Blessing. So to bring us back to the beginning of the sermon, do you want to be blessed by God in 2021? Do you want to experience all the good things God has for you? Do you want to have more and more of those moments in life where you stop and think to yourself, Wow, I am so blessed. I am so blessed. If your answer is yes, 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 and amen, then don't return to the path that is cursed. Don't return to the path that is cursed and is spiraling downward toward death and destruction. Don't return to that path. Easier said than done, right? And why? Because often we don't mind a little curse if it feels like a blessing, right? Sometimes just a little lie or a little substance or a little peak or a little sketchy deal or whatever feels good. We know it's bad for us, but it feels good. So what do we do when we don't want bad things to feel good to us anymore? 
we must delight ourselves in something that is sweeter and more precious and more beautiful. And because we know that delight isn't a verb, it's a noun, the only way for this to happen is for God to radically change us by his grace. God must change us by his grace, and so we must cry out to God, Lord, please change me. Please change me. I don't want to be the same person tomorrow that I am today. Lord, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I want to savor your word. Lord, I want to long, I want my heart to long to know you more and to be near to you and to follow you on the path of blessedness. Lord, please, please do for me what I cannot do for myself. Lord, I want to delight in you. I want for you to be my joy. I want for you to be the person I am so deeply satisfied in, in you alone, Lord. And if that is the cry of your heart this morning, then that is evidence that God's blessing has found you. And if you're ready to move into 2021 with this attitude, then pray with me and let's see, let's see what God will do among us in this new year. Amen? Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, change us. Change your people, Lord. Lord, you are the potter and we are the clay and we just ask you to please continue to mold and make us into the kinds of godly men and women that you desire for us to be. And Lord, we thank you for your blessing. Lord, we thank you that you have richly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as you chose us in Christ, the blessed man, before the foundation of the world. Lord, thank you for rescuing us from the wicked path and for setting us on the blessed path in Christ. Lord, we ask that your spirit would give grace to our feet as we, as we walk with you on the blessed path, that we wouldn't deviate or get off course or, or ever turn back and go the other way, Lord. Oh, Lord, guard our hearts and lead us in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake, that your great and awesome name might be exalted in us and through us. For your glory alone we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, may we all go with God in the grace of God on the blessed path.